Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of The Door Report presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, we give our preview and predictions of LSU and Vanderbilt coming up this Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on the SEC Network. Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kubelik on the call. Vanderbilt will be debuting their new black throwback helmets with Vandy script on them and the Nashville skyline. So this game will be played in Nashville. Limited student attendance. How does that affect uh, this game between Vanderbilt and LSU? We will also be joined by Brody Miller. He covers LSU for The Athletic. We get uh, his analysis and prediction on the Commodores and the Tigers. Coach O. And the Tigers rolling into Nashville. LSU Vanderbilt preview coming up. Let's ride. Welcome into another episode of The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast in Music City. We are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the founder, Jimmy Alaco. That's jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They are located right here in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's nice and easy for the locals. You can call 615-356-0303. That's 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. Before we dive into the Vanderbilt-LSU matchup coming up this Saturday in Nashville, it's now time to hear from Will Byram speaking a few words on the Recycling Dude. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who's a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in Westmead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every need and every budget, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. Welcome back into The Door Report. It is episode number 38. It is a beautiful Friday afternoon, October 2nd. As always, we are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Willie, we are back and better than ever with another episode. I'm reporting live per usual down here in Naples. It's a raining and it's 75 degrees, so doesn't quite fo- feel like that chilly football weather yet. But Will, you're up in Nashville, and I'm and I miss being up there right now, man. Yeah, it's, it's starting to get a little bit of that fall chill in the air, and, and it's starting to feel like actual football weather in this year, oh, man. season, so that, that feeling is starting to kind of pick up yeah. and, and start to happen with, uh, on Saturday, high 70, low of 51, should be kind of nice. Man, um, so I cannot wait. Than we're used to, but, 
but man, it feels right. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's how it's supposed to feel. It's football season. We're, we're October is back, October 2nd, and, and it's the best month of the year. You start to get feel that chill, and then you got football, the meat of the football season. It might not be the meat yet of, of this pandemic season, but, uh, you know, spooky season is here, and week two is also here as Vanderbilt welcomes the LSU Tigers to Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. Kickoff is set for 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, and you can watch that game on the SEC Network. Will, no more F, F crew. Uh, we got the A-plus crew, uh, at least according to my my knowledge. Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kubelik are on the call. Your buddy Jordan uh, is 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 on the call, so uh, that should be fun to just you know get him back in Nashville and and uh, you know hear his voice there. But before we get to the breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. That's at door underscore report. Instagram door dot report. Give us a like on Facebook. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We actually just posted the video portion of our last podcast. We're hoping to continue to to do that and 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 put that uh, content out there for uh, for the fans. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Also, before we get to the breaking news, we are looking to start a Friday mailbag column during the season, courtesy of you, Mr. Will Byram. If you have questions or uh, just an opinion you'd like to share about really anything surrounding Vanderbilt athletics, not just football, send them to doorreport at gmail.com, or you can just shoot us a DM on Twitter or Instagram. And the breaking news segment is always presented by the Recycling Dudes. Will, the new throwback helmets. These uh, these helmets are are they're they're one of a kind. I, I I love them. I love what they did with them. The script, the Vandy script, is 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 classic. It's a throwback look. And when they take the field Saturday night against LSU, they're going to be looking looking nice. I mean, Derek Mason is a he's he's a swagger type of guy. He he likes he likes his teams playing with swagger, and they'll be playing with that Saturday. You know, Deion Sanders, look good, feel good, play good. They're going to be looking good Saturday night, man. Yeah, I just have a little connection issue, so I hope you didn't ask me a question. No, <laughs> I noticed um, it, so we're good. Uh, the the biggest thing from that, I mean, those helmets obviously are awesome. I mean, it, it's hard for anybody mm. to look at those and hate on them unless you just dislike Vanderbilt. But <laughs> it was nice to see something that fans wanted. I mean, I think fans yeah. were talking about bringing back that helmet with the curse of Vandy on it for over a year on social media. Yeah, Alan George, one of the players. Yeah, too. Yeah, so seeing them actually do it is is a step in a good direction, and then seeing the reaction on social media, it was um, awesome. You don't see Vanderbilt making waves a, a ton on there, like legitimate waves. But I mean, even LSU's barstool LSU account, <laughs> the nerds um, drop some heat. A little bit of love, <laughs> even even if it was a little backhanded compliment, uh, <laughs> calling them nerds. But um, it, it was pretty awesome to see that reaction, and, yeah. and that, that's always good to see get your name out there associated with something. It is. Positive. Yeah, um, and you saw a lot of you saw a lot of you know they they've had, they've released more helmets than they've had wins and and you know stuff like that which is not completely false but again it's good it, like you mentioned it's good to kind of see that that momentum you know continue a little bit you know obviously we didn't win against A and M but that kind of like like you mentioned Will it sent shockwaves around the SEC so uh, we'll see what kind of uh, luck these these new black helmets uh, bring Vanderbilt Saturday night obviously they have the Nashville skyline displayed on the back honestly I could do without the skyline on the back 
Um, you know, I, I, it's a it's a decent touch. I think you know I don't think you have to have it. Uh, but again, I can't wait to see the all black look. I think those are their best look. Um, so again, Vanderbilt, LSU, and again the media. I mean, you had unnecessary roughness. The Barstool College Football account uh, give them some love. LSU's Barstool account. So um, there you, you said it there, Will. Vanderbilt is uh, is making some ways. Maybe if they can pull off this upset, watch out SEC. Well, obviously, I, I want to touch on this limited student attendance uh, that Vanderbilt announced. Uh, Candace Lee, obviously, she said as part of her ongoing efforts, they've decided to allow a very limited number of Vanderbilt students to attend October 3rd game against LSU and cheer on their student athletes. And we touched on it last podcast. What I don't know if we, we touched on this aspect of it. What kind of an effect do you think it could have on the game? Because LSU, obviously, they're used to playing in front of at least last year, you know, I don't know how much 80,000 is that Valley seat, maybe up to 90. So with this basically empty stadium, they're going to have half the student section likely. What kind of effect could that have? It can't be negative for Vanderbilt. Um, that's, that's the only thing that I know going in. It's, it's a weird, I, I don't even know what it's like to play in front of 80, it's going to be weird. 40, 000, so I, I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> Vanderbilt is, is definitely the team in the SEC used to playing in front of the most meager crowds, mm-hmm. um, to put it nicely, or the most hostile crowds while at home. Yeah, there's no so, in-between. <laughs> yeah, so so coming out and you know seeing that stadium empty, it, it's probably weird for any player, even the Vanderbilt players, but they're the ones that don't expect that home field advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of built into their mindset, regardless of limited capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it will truly have an effect on the field um, because at Vanderbilt stadium, you don't, you don't see a lot of false start penalties created by crowd noise no. um, or anything like that. So I don't see it having a lot of effect. If anything, it's a slight benefit to the Commodores yeah. uh, of, that, of not having that. That's ex- yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, actually, because with, I mean, I, I, like I said, there's not, there's not going to be a drastic effect, but with, with some of those third downs with, with Vanderbilt kind of just being comfortable, you know, being comfortable A&M with Ken Seals, he wasn't at times, you know, obviously I don't think a crowd was really shaking him up, but on third down with the crowd blaring in on you, that 12th man, it's not, it's not a good feeling. So now Seals gets to settle in, you know, they've, they've had scrimmages there. They're comfortable there. I think it could have a slight uh, advantage towards Vanderbilt and Gales, LSU is a great team. So again, won't be a drastic impact, uh, but in terms of kind of the, the protocols at the stadium, Masks will be required uh, and, and services such as concessions will not be activated to limit movement within the stadium. So the students likely will be stuck at their seats um, and, and the undergrad students, they're going to be given first priority and they'll be contacted directly via email. So it's an interesting dynamic. We're, we'll see how it ultimately impacts that game. And speaking of the game, Will, it's time to dive into our predictions here. 20th ranked LSU heading into Nashville. Both teams are 0 and one Vanderbilt obviously coming back from a tough loss against A&M. SCC Network is the channel. LSU is favored by 21 as of right now, according to uh, ESPN. The over-under is 50-and-a-half. Will, you're the betting man here. Before we dive into the game, what do you think about those Vegas odds? It's about what I I expected it to be around a three-score game. Um, I honestly expected LSU to probably be that minus 21-and-a-half because that – for people that aren't familiar with betting, the biggest lines are obviously the football scores, the biggest movement, the difference between a six and a half and a seven and a half point line or 
20 and a half versus 21 and a half is huge. It's a lot yeah. bigger than 18 and a half versus 19 and a half. So mm-hmm. it's right around where I expected, but Vegas did put a, whether it was more respect on Vanderbilt or lack of confidence in LSU. Um, depending on the bookmaker, it's anywhere between that minus 19 and a half where it opened. And I think it's gone up to around minus 21 for yeah. LSU, depending on where you look. So they, they are expecting probably around a two to three, 14, 17 point game. Um, me too. But honestly, this, this is a hard. This is a hard line to read because it is. We'll get into the predictions, but you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to know. It, we're only a game in. Yeah, you saw two very different performances. And heck, A and M was favored by nine. thirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, and LSU was a heavy favorite against Mississippi State. So yeah, it, I mean, they were they were a fourteen and a half point favorite. It's and tough, it, tough season right now. Right. If you're a betting man, yeah. <laughs> So both teams um, drastically, one overperformed and one underperformed mm-hmm. the betting line expectations. So we don't know if that was a fluke or if these teams were really very different than we expected coming in. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. LSU 20 and a half right now, um, you know, at Vanderbilt coming in here to Nashville. Will, this is an unexpected battle of 0-1 teams. It's going to be played, as we mentioned, in front of select Vanderbilt students. So the atmosphere is going to be an odd, eerie type of feel. The Commodores, obviously, they named Ken Seals as the winner of their four-way apparent quarterback battle that that they said was going on. Uh, but he's the guy. Ken Seals is the guy, and they're gonna. They, he has the keys to the car, and and he's gonna keep driving it for as long as he can. You know, maybe five years because he does have eligibility uh, potentially for five years if he wants to stay. So, uh, I think the big matchup to watch in this game. Is is and I, I could say this every week, but it's the O line against LSU's defensive line. Not only their D line, but their linebackers, because they send a lot of blitzes with their linebackers. Because a lot, because as we talked, you know, Brody Miller will talk about it. We're going to have him on a little bit later. LSU beat reporter from the Athletic. He will touch on the fact that their D line wasn't getting enough pressure last week on KJ Costello. So the key to this one, I think, is is how Ken Seals handles the different pressures that LSU comes with. Because I think he did a he did a decent job at AM. There were times when, you know, he could have evaded the pressure, maybe stepped up instead of stepping back and and vice versa. But a lot of it's going to be on Ken and, and he's going to be the X factor in a lot of games. But Will, I know you love Keon Brooks and he's he's hopefully coming back. Um, so, you know, we're going to get to see potentially what kind of power he has. And, and for me, will Ken seals is my X factor just because of his ability. If he can get those deep, if he has enough time to get those deep balls off, then Vanderbilt has, I think they can keep it close. You know, it depends on how long their defense is on the field, but in this one, if, if Vanderbilt can get pressure on miles Brennan, I think it's going to be the same type of game against A&M. Yeah, the when when you watch that Mississippi State game and, and looking through the box score, obviously KJ Costello for for Mississippi State had a hell of a game. Six hundred twenty three yards. Yeah, which is <laughs> insane. But he did throw sixty passes, and they did struggle to kind of run the ball um, yeah. against LSU. So they're they're starting back. They they didn't run it a lot, um, mm-hmm. but they struggled when they did, and they did give up five sacks to that LSU defensive line, um, who is obviously sending pressure. But the, the big X factor is going to be, and I know this is kind of an obvious thing, but it's going to be both sides of the Vanderbilt defensive and offensive lines. Mm-hmm. So LSU In the is trenches. going to be pressure. And, and when we talked to Brody, he mentioned it. They were, they were running more of an attacking style defense, putting their corners kind of on islands, their secondary players in one-on-one battles. 
So it's going to be that offensive line giving enough time mm-hmm. um, for Ken Seals to get that ball off and, and allow the receivers to make moves in those one-on-one situations. And then on the flip side, um, LSU is ha- had a lot of success offensively against Mississippi State. Oh, yeah. But they did give up, uh, I believe it was seven or eight sacks. Mm-hmm. So that offensive or defensive line for Vanderbilt getting pressure um, on LSU's quarterback and containing that run game, um, not over pursuing, trying to get those sacks. And they did a good job of it against uh, against Texas A&M. I'm hoping to see that continue. But those are the two X factors on both sides of the line, which obviously is going to be a, a, a lot of what we talk about this season. No doubt, and and you know we talk about it a lot. Basically, every season with Vanderbilt, the O line is is what keeps you in games. You know, like the James Franklin era, the O line was was a reliable O line. They had a couple NFL guys on there. That's why they could run the ball. That's why they could do different things that Derek Mason's teams simply haven't been able to do. Uh, so I think another key will to this is the opportunistic defense. If Vanderbilt f- doesn't force any turnovers. This game is is going to be get could, could get out of hand, you know. But if they force a couple turnovers and are opportunistic, you could see another game like L- like A and M, and because that's you know we talked about it a lot last episode. This opportunistic defense seems to be the thing that will keep Vanderbilt in these games. It's not going to be Ken Seals in the offense because they just don't have that dynamic type of playmaker yet. But if do you agree? Well, if if, they, if this defense is opportunistic enough, they that can keep them in the game. Yeah, they, they can keep it close, limiting the time that, that LSU has on the field, obviously. I mean, last year, that 66-38 to 38 game, they still have four- and five-star talent on that other side of the ball, Yeah, even losing those 13 NFL draft picks, five in the first round. So, Vanderbilt's still going to be outmatched from an athleticism, physicality, or physical standpoint. Um, it may not be as extreme as what we saw last year, but this is honestly a tough matchup. For, for Vanderbilt, when you when you look up and down LSU's roster, even though they lost to Miss or LSU lost to Mississippi State, it's going to be hard for Vanderbilt to do what they did last week with time of possession, um, because as much success like I mentioned, Mississippi State had it through the air, they did not have success on the ground. So that time of ball control, time of possession mm-hmm. type of offense that I think Vanderbilt is going to attempt to run again this week, they're going to have to open it up and allow Conceals to play as a freshman. Um, which could lead to some turnovers. Yeah, possibly. hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. But it, it's a kind of a brutal matchup, and getting Keon Brooks back is huge. Mm-hmm. But this may not be the week that you see his explosive impact as prevalent on the field. Yeah, and, and especially with, with having Keon back, that gives rest to a guy like Wakefield who might have you know got a little bit bruised up uh, at A&M, and, and even, even a guy like Marlowe who has never had that much production, and, and not, not, as mu- not necessarily production, but that much uh, you know, playing time. So uh, Keon Brooks will ease, ease the pressure off of those guys a little bit. And i got to see ca- something from Camp Johnson. Uh, you know, you, you just have to. Cam, he's got to be targeted more than four. You'd like to see that number multiply by two, hopefully, get in the eight to ten range. You got to look at him. You got to, you know, throw it to him different ways. Give him a give him a bubble screen. Tell him, hey, look, give it a shot here deep, Cam. Give him a little stop and go. I want to see that from Ken and Cam. And then even Amir Abdurrahman, if he can keep it going too. So, again, LSU will, they're going to be playing hungry. 
they're going to be playing hungry. They just lost at home against Mississippi State in front of a, a national television, a televised audience with a lot of people watching. You know, I watched a little bit of that game. I'm sure you did also. Uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup because they have Derek Stingley back. And Brody Miller talked about it, um, it, it you know, later on here in the podcast. He said with Stingley back, that gives the defense a lot of motivation and a lot of confidence. So with that being said, Will, it's now time to give our predictions of the game. We're going to close it out right after this. I'm going to start with you first, Will. I'm going to put the pressure all on your shoulders. <laughs> so this has been, obviously last week I was a little bit off on my prediction. I, 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 I'm very yeah. happy. I was yeah. very off. I even mentioned yeah. that when I wrote um, the prediction. I predicted 41 to 10, and I could not have been more thrilled to wake up on Sunday and feel like an idiot. <laughs> um, th- this one I've been going back and forth because I can see it going one of two ways. So when you're a team like LSU and you come into the season ranked number six in the country, coming up an undefeated national championship season, um, even with the losses they experienced, that loss to Mississippi State in this 10-game All-SEC season is, is a season killer. I mean, oh, yeah. this, was, this was a gimme for them. Um, not a gimme, but this was a have to win because you have a lot tougher matchups late in the year. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna. I'm not sure what we will come out to come out and see. It, it varies between the team. Are they going to come out deflated because pretty much their shot at a national championship is over? So screw it. We're just. I mean, <laughs> we're throwing in the towel. You have a different mindset. Um, or are they going to come out? You know, fired up, pissed off, ready to go, knock some heads. So that will be. We will know within the first quarter of that game um, which direction that team is going. So. Let's My hear prediction's it. been anywhere from, I, I believe LSU will score in the mid-30s. Um, I think that Ooh. they will not have the unforced turnovers that A&M did, um, and they will score a couple times on those. So I, I'm putting LSU at 34. And okay. this is where the big thing is because this is playing with that minus 19.5, minus 20.5, minus 19.5 line. Um, I think it's going to be 34-17 LSU. Vanderbilt okay. covers. All right. Um, but they, they, they still unfortunately yeah. fall to the top. There it is. I, no, I, I respect that, no doubt. And, and, and my thing with this game, I don't think LSU will get quite to 34. I think Vandy's defense is – it is one game against A&M. You know, I'm not going to say this is an elite defense. But I, think, I don't think you know, Miles Brennan showed uh, enough for me to have enough confidence in him putting up 34 points. So I'm going to put LSU at 24 points and Vanderbilt at, at 14. Uh, at 24-14, so, and again, with Vanderbilt's offense, 14 points is it's not a bad performance considering what they did last last season. So um, I, I think I think it, 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 it stays close throughout. Vanderbilt's, you know, a step behind at times. But in the end, Miles Brennan shows, you know, that he's he's not he's not a fold. He's not this this quarterback that's just going to back down, you know, under pressure. And, and it, you know, he's going to kind of, you know, regain his confidence with his teammates. So I got LSU 24-14. Coach O motivating his guys. And, and you know, this team knows how to play angry. This is a top-notch SEC team with a lot of tradition. And, and I don't think they're going to lose this game to Vanderbilt. Um, but, again, I think it should be an interesting type of matchup. So – there's the predictions. Willie, uh, give yours one more time. I'll give mine, and then we'll, we'll send this thing home. Yeah, 34 to 17. And I don't think our predictions are very far off. Because yeah. kind of how I see the game flowing is I can see it going into the fourth quarter, that kind of 24 to 14 range. Yeah. Uh, about what your prediction is in that fourth quarter. Um, LSU, um, 
goes down, scores. Vanderbilt kicks a field goal to bring it within 14, and then LSU kicks a late field goal. Yeah, kind of yeah. That's kind of how I see it going. I don't, I don't see it being a blowout, but I because that 34 to 17, 34 14 can go one of two ways. It can be again that was tight throughout and late. The other team scores, yeah. um, or it can be the other team was in complete control uh-huh. throughout, um, and yeah. the losing team had a late score that ended yeah. up making the final scoreboard look a little better. Yeah. So I'm, I am expecting a tighter matchup. Um, but but that final scoreboard, I, I don't see it being within 14, 14 points. I don't yeah. see it being hey, we'll see. We will see Vanderbilt and LSU. They kick off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time in Nashville, in the Music City. Will will be there in Nashville, not at the game, not allowed to. He'll be watching it and and live tweeting, and hopefully I'll be able to get some live tweeting in there uh, without a, with, with a less busy weekend. 7.30 Eastern time, kick SEC Network at Vanderbilt Stadium. There you have it for episode number 38. The new helmets will be shown out Saturday night. Can't wait to see those, uh, and and especially with the All Blacks. For episode 38, for my co-host Will Byram and Brody Miller checking in a little bit later, this has been the first segment. We've got Brody Miller, LSU beat reporter of The Athletic, coming right up here on The Door Report. Let's keep rolling. Brody Miller, he is the LSU beat reporter for The Athletic, is our guest now here on The Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and we are back here with the interview portion of episode 38, leading up to kickoff between LSU and Vanderbilt in the Music City in Nashville, where Will is. I'm down here in Naples. Brody uh, still down there in Louisiana, LSU beat reporter. Brody, how you doing? SEC football is back, and the Tigers are heading back to Nashville for the second straight year. Are you going to be making the trip to Music City? You know, believe it or not, this is my first road game I'm going to be missing in my uh-huh. three seasons on the beat. It's just a sign of the times a little bit. I mean, obviously, I, I wish I was there. I would like to be there, but just kind of one of those things where, if we're being really honest, uh, <laughs> you're, you're traveling to Nashville and maybe not the safest times just to go basically get a Zoom press conference that I could also just get in my house in, in New Orleans. So, yeah, I... Uh, It's a bummer, but hey, I'll be watching the same way as most of you guys, I guess. Yep, no doubt. It's going to be a fun game. Uh, LSU Vanderbilt. It was a shootout last year, uh, you know, of sorts. LSU pulled away. It's going to be fun to see how this one plays out. Obviously, Brody, Coach O, and these Tigers, they went from Joe Burrow, a Heisman Trophy winner and number one overall draft pick, to Miles Brennan, a guy who is respected, but obviously has to earn his keep at LSU. How do you think not not only the team, but the fan base has handled that quarterback transition? It really has been a fascinating little conversation and discourse just because I think there's a a built-in portion of people being like, yes, we understand he's replacing Joe Burrow. We understand he's not going to throw for 60 touchdowns. But there is still this thing where it's like, you know, people else who finally saw what their offense can be because they ha- they've always had receiver talent, right? They've always had the pieces, but they never had the scheme and the philosophy to go with it. So now all of a sudden they saw that what, what it can finally do, and they understand he's not going to be Joe Burrow, but I think there is still a little bit of slightly probably a little unfair, you know, the expectation that, like, he's just going to keep the offense rolling, and now this is just the kind of LSU explosive offense you should expect year in, year out. So there, it's a bit of a yin and yang there, I think, that's a little – little unfair but you know I, I also think there's a, a my the thing I'm trying to tell my readers all the time is remind them LSU is basically like the poster child program for about you know what four or five decades of not really being able to develop quarterbacks and for example I mean 
I think the passing touchdown record before Burrow last year was like 28, you know, and the passing <laughs> yard record was like 3,000. I mean, they, this wasn't a place that really th- did much. And Joe Burrow, if he was even average, he was going to be the best quarterback in LSU history. So that's the unfortunate part about Miles Brennan taking over is just that he might put up numbers this season or next season that would have shattered every record before him, but it might seem bad to people, you know, because it's it's half of what Joe Burrow did. So, you know, based on the reaction of week one, I think there's a decent portion of the fan base that's already like Miles Brennan isn't that good, you know, and they're already like turning on him. And I would give him, and I'm sure we'll get to it, I'd give him a negative grade if I had to review from mm-hmm. week one, but I think it's way too early to make any kind of decision. Man, no love for Jamarcus <laughs> Russell. <laughs> he was all, he was good. He wasn't like a star in college. Hey, it's it's the LSU quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, but on that note of transition, Commodore fans have obviously on a lesser extent, but kind of experienced something similar last season, um, transitioning from their record breaking and and probably the greatest statistically quarterback in the history of the program and Kyle Shermer. Um, to some kind of unproven guys. So kind of shifting to other positions in that note of transition. Um, LSU set an SEC with 13 players picked um, in the NFL draft, including five first-rounders. So that's a lot of talent to replace, even for the reigning national champions. Um, what, who are some key guys um, that are replacing that that very talented group that was drafted? And, and where would you say, outside of Joe Burrow, obviously, is, is the biggest loss for that team? Well, it's almost hard to highlight key guys because it's basically the entire roster, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, key guys to watch in terms – Terrace Marshall, of course. I mean, he's not even necessarily replacing anybody, but he was the third banana in that receiving mm-hmm. core last year and still broke LSU's previous touchdown record with 13. And now with Jamar Chase opting out, he's obviously the number one guy and looked really good Saturday. So he's a guy who, you know, could be a first-round pick. Eric Gilbert's definitely the name I think everyone should absolutely get to know and will definitely know over the next few years. I mean, he's apparently the highest like rated tight end in the history of recruiting and, you know, first gate tight end to ever win Gatorade National Player of the Year. He's a six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound freak who already caught touchdown in his debut and I think will become a bigger name as the season goes on. But, you know, some others to throw out there. Ollie Gay, you know, I think, you know, LSU's pass rush, even with Caleb on chase on last year, has been pretty underwhelming the last two years, to be completely honest. And I think that's a big part of what Bo Pelini's bringing in. It's more of an attacking scheme and whatnot. But Ollie Gay in that debut, a six foot six defensive end, who was a, a JUCO guy, not even that highly touted. I mean, he had like 11 pressures, three deflected passes, a sack. I mean, he looked like a stud Saturday, so he's one to know. And then the other is definitely – Damone Clark and Jabril Cox at linebacker. You know, Jabril Cox was an All-American in the FCS the last three years in North Dakota State, won three national championships. I mean, he should be a first or second round pick if he puts it all together this year. So I think uh, those are some of the ones to know. And to answer your last question, which is other than quarterback, what is the biggest thing to replace? It's a, it's a great question, and it's a di- I want to I, I go back and forth on debating all the time because a lot of the positions you lose your best players, those are the ones that actually weirdly like the guys that they're replacing them with. So if I had to say one, I'd say just the offensive line in, in the sense that you're replacing four or five starters, and I actually am okay with the talent on the O-line. I think you know some of those guys have a lot of upside, but it's 
replacing an entire offensive line. It's the one position that continuity matters the most. They're, they don't seem to be gelling in week one. Gave up seven sacks, things like that. So I'd say just that better in offensive line that really knew each other last year, I think that's the biggest loss right now. You, you mentioned the offensive line. The D-line was just gashed last week against Mississippi State, and it was probably more on the secondary, though. I mean, the Mississippi State's offense was rolling. K.J. Costello, the Stanford transfer, had 623 yards, five touchdowns. My question is, what on earth happened to the Tigers' defense? So, it, I mean, it is, it's a fascinating thing that happened Saturday that I'll admit I was completely shocked and I never saw that happening because I'm in to admit I was incredibly wrong. I was saying on my podcast the week before the season that, like, you know, someone asked, like, what positions could be better in 2020 than 2019? I actually said cornerback. <laughs> that, that backfired a bit. You know, I mean, for, of course you start with the fact Derek Stingley Jr. was out. He's probably the best corner in college football, if not one of the best players, period. And so that matters, but there's still no excuse. You know I mean, it's college football in 2020, and it's during a pandemic. You're going to need to rely on cornerbacks two through four, two through five, always. You know, just, you live in a four-wide offensive era now. So regardless, there's no excuse, Stingley or not, that you – got gashed the way you did and and then the other factor of course is jay ward who basically was the guy who filled in for the most part starting i mean he had literally missed the, the previous two weeks with a meniscus injury and just didn't practice and was essentially forced to play again none of that is excusing what happened basically lsu and Bo Pelini's new scheme was all about getting more pressure on the quarterback being more of an aggressive attacking scheme and by the way i thought the front six actually played solid i really do but a lot of that scheme is built on you got to trust your corners in one-on-one situations. A lot of man, a lot of matchup zone kind of stuff where they are in one-on-ones, and they just got embarrassed in those one-on-ones, and there is there is no excuse for that. But I think the biggest criticism you're going to see it coming across this whole week is that but it's not that they got gashed. It's that Bo Pelini, a $2.3 million defensive coordinator, never adjusted. He never, you know, you're getting beat man-to-man time, time again for 600 yards, and you never, you know, switched anything. You never get more of a coach, and you don't do anything, and that's – I mean, I don't think the corners will ever play that bad again. I don't. I think Jay Ward's getting healthier. Derek Stingley's going to be back this week. I think they'll be fine in the grand scheme of things. The concerning thing is that you got beat and you just let it keep happening. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the cornerbacks and and the weakness or or lack of quality defensive game plan. So kind of this might be cornerbacks or, or whatever it might be, but what is one position that is the strongest on LSU's team currently this year and one position that you would point out and say that that's probably the weaker weakest position group on this team? You know, I think defensive tackle when it's at its best, which I actually don't even think will be this Saturday because Glenn Logan's going to be out for another week, which seems like it's for disciplinary reasons. And, you know, Neil Farrell, who just opted back in, he's an all-SEC kind of talent, but he's still, I think, getting back into shape and whatnot because he did sit out for a month because he was opted out. So, I, I mean, but defensive tackle, when it's at its best, I do think that is one of the better units in the SEC, especially now in this Bo Pelini, you know, attacking scheme where they're letting those guys get three techniques and get up the field because in the past they were basically just gap holders, you know. So, you know, Glenn Logan, Neil Farrell, Apuwaika is going to be a stud. Joseph Evans looked pretty good. That's definitely one of the strengths. And I'd also say, you know, it's funny because I think linebacker is not deep. Like if one guy gets hurt, I think you're, they're really in trouble at linebacker. So it's, I say this with a grain of salt, but the starting linebackers are really good in my opinion. Damone Clark and Jabril Cox, those are both guys that are going to be playing in the NFL soon and whatnot. So I think that's a really good strength too. Defensive ends an area where I just have a lot of questions. I'm not even saying it's a weakness yet, but there's no experience there. There's very little known commodity there. I, they're good pass rushers, but I don't know if they're necessarily complete mm-hmm. football players. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But then again, Ollie Gay was the breakout star last Saturday. So it's a tough thing to answer because there's no area I just flat out look at and say, like, 
this is a problem. This is a weak spot. They're screwed. But it, it is a thing where I look at so many things and it's like if this guy goes hurt, then they have no depth. Or this group's really talented, but they have no experience. It's just kind of a – I know it's a terrible answer, but it's just kind of a little <laughs> bit of a, a nuanced situation with a weird, inexperienced roster. Yeah, we're joined by Brody Miller, covers LSU for The Athletic. Hey, leading up to kickoff here Saturday night, LSU and Vanderbilt in Nashville. Last week at Death Valley, as we've talked about, it was a tough home opener. I mean, seeing LSU lose like that at home in a, in a high-scoring fashion, you know, on a nationally televised game, yes, it's a pandemic, but it, it was it was a little bit odd, you know, a little bit eerie seeing that. It's like, well, football's back, but, you know, got to give credit to Mississippi State. Miles Brennan had 345 yards, two touchdowns, but he did throw two crucial interceptions. What do you think you learned, Brody, about Brennan? And it is one game, but what 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 can you take from his performance last week? You know, it's funny because while I was watching in the moment, I'm like, I thought he looked bad. I'm not like I, I just didn't see, you know, and then I rewatched it and he didn't look good. I'm not claiming he deserves a, a positive grade or anything like that. But, you know, some of the reasoning started to make sense. But the big the big takeaway was he was tentative. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. very confident. And some of that's just natural. It's your first ever SEC start. So, again, I'm not going to make any massive, huge judgment calls yet. But he did not look like a guy who was ready to play SEC football in the sense that, you know, he took off in the pocket a little too soon quite often. Or, you know, there'd be a guy in his face and he just didn't step up and make a very strong throw. And Miles Brand has a huge arm. And some of those throws were pretty weak because he just was kind of like jumpy and just yeah. kind of chucked it up. So I think that's really your main concern. But I'd also say it did get better as the game went on. You know, in the first half, they were going pass heavy, putting him in all these situations. He didn't seem ready. There wasn't much cohesion. In the second half, as the game went on, one, he looked more comfortable just playing SEC football, but two, they ran the ball more, put him in some more reasonable downs, made the defense play a little more honest, and you started seeing him make some stronger throws, look more confident in the pocket, step into his throws. So, you know, I saw some good and I saw some bad in that sense. I think, you know, I've talked to some people on the staff, and the main their main takeaway was just, like, he needs to be confident enough just to – you know, everyone says Miles Brennan knows the right read to make. They say he's smart enough to do that. It's the he doesn't have the decisiveness yet to be like, this is the right read. I'm going to trust myself and throw it in this one-on-one to Terrace Marshall against the you know corner he's bigger than. You know, it's that kind of thing, and that's what I think what a lot of us took for granted with Joe Burrow. I mean, that guy was the yeah. most decisive quarterback I've ever like I've ever covered. At it's least ridiculous. He, he just his confidence of just like I'm going to put this ball there, yeah. even though he doesn't have the best arm and all these things. Yeah. That's a strength, you know, that being that confident. So absolutely, I think uh, I think the decisiveness is my main critique. But I I, I and I'm, I don't think he's going to be an All SEC guy this year. I don't think he's going to be great, but I'm not going to rule him out yet. I do think there was improvement. I mean, the guy is, is going out there after Joe Burrow. Let's you know, yeah. let's cut him a little bit of slack here. Let's dive into this matchup now. Vanderbilt LSU 7:30 night game. The, the obviously it's, there's limited students allowed. Those are going to be the only fans in Vanderbilt Stadium uh, for LSU though. Do you think that makes a difference in terms of, you know, kind of the atmosphere they played at home in front of a 20, 25% crowd so somewhat? Um, and, and in terms of Ed Orgeron, you know, he, he's always kind of had respect for these teams like Vanderbilt and even Missouri. He doesn't take really any SEC team lightly. Um, so how much respect do you think he has for Vanderbilt after after their tight loss against A&M last week? I mean, I'm not just saying this. I do think they have a genuine respect for Vanderbilt. One, I mean, we all remember that Vanderbilt put up 38 points on them last year. And, yeah. I mean, sure, they won that game comfortably, but that was like a big wake-up call. And they got a lot of criticism for kind of how they got gashed by that Vanderbilt offense for explosive plays last year. So you start with that. I think at Ogeron and Derek Mason just genuinely have a lot of respect for each other. I mean, they've known each other going back to their long time in the Pac-12, you know, and whatnot when Mason was at Stanford. So I think, I think there is some real respect there. And – yeah, like you said, I just think Ed Ogeron's 
one of the poster children for losing to smaller schools and really, you know, when he was at Ole Miss or when he lost to Troy, you know, and things like that. I just think he has very much learned you can't really overlook teams. Plus, you add in the fact that they did just get embarrassed by Mississippi State. So I don't think there's any snare. There's an overlook factor here. Like you said, and I, I love to hear your guys' thoughts on this, they did, you know, play in and pretty well, it looked like, in my opinion. So I'd be pretty surprised if you don't see an LSU team that genuinely is focused, especially if they get their season back off track. Yeah, you know, last week you mentioned at A&M, it was very shocking. I mean, our, our predictions, we put, put them out every week, and, and, and I had them losing by, you know, 21. Will had them maybe 28, right, Will? Yeah, I think I had them 31 because the Vegas line, I think they were plus 30 and a half. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it was it was quite unexpected what, what occurred last week. Well, yeah. let me ask you guys this, though, just out of curiosity. I mean, because I know Mon was only 17, 28, mm-hmm. and whatnot. It didn't seem like they were – would you did you take away that Vanderbilt's defense genuinely looked like they were giving them problems, or was it a little more A and M just didn't look very you know? They were yeah, second. I think I think a lot of times it was Mond, you know, feeling unnecessarily you know pressured. But Vanderbilt's D line, according to Pro Football Focus, was the number one rated D line. So and and they have a couple guys like Davion Davis, a young sophomore who who can bring some pressure that they didn't really have last year. So and I don't know what your thoughts are, Will, but that that's kind of you know what I was. I think Mond, it was it was a lot of Mond, but I. I think also Vanderbilt's D-line, they, they really showed up in a way. Yeah, it was, it was a combination. Um, the, the defense played really well, but Texas A&M, I mentioned it on the podcast we did the reaction earlier this week, was um, there's a difference between turnovers and forced turnovers. Mm-hmm. And A&M had, I think it was two or three completely unforced turnovers. I mean, they, it yeah. was a hit, but it was sloppy. Yeah, they gave Vanderbilt a lot. Yeah, and then getting actually this week, I believe Dimitri Moore um, will be back. Yeah, he's I back. This week. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's our best defensive player? So we didn't have him at that middle yeah. linebacker position last week. So I would say it was probably sixty percent Vanderbilt, forty percent A and M. Yeah, uh, without those unforced turnovers, yeah. there would have been more points. On but the board. yeah, you do, you do. I think you, you're right in giving Vanderbilt a little bit of credit there. You know, because their D line looks a little bit different, and and they do have a lot of guys back on defense. So with that being said. Brody, we're going to try to snag your prediction here. Uh, we're, we're not going to give ours yet. We're going to give ours tor- towards the end of this podcast. But for you, LSU coming in, they're, they're going to be playing angry. You know, we know that. We know that about an Orgeron coach team. He knows how to motivate them. What What is your prediction for this game, uh, LSU Vandy? You know, with Stingley back with the wake-up call last week, I do think you see them run the ball more a little bit just to get the offense rolling and whatnot. But I think you're going to see a pretty focused LSU team and a team that genuinely is like trying to destroy them, you know, which is not the case. So <laughs> don't scare us now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a gut feeling, you know, the spread's what about 20.5? Yeah, 20. Most books. Yeah. So I think they cover that spread. I think they win this game by, say, 21, 28 points. It's my. It's my guess, but like I said, I mean, Vanderbilt has been a team that can make life feisty for LSU and whatnot. And it's almost so hard for me to predict anything because this is still an LSU team that I've seen really most of these guys only play one game ever, you know, because it is so new. Yeah. So they might be a completely different team this week. So that's like my cop out of a prediction. But <laughs> I do think LSU does win this comfortably just because I think they're going to come out there like actually looking to hurt some. Yeah. And that kind of leads, sorry, we, we said that when we were closing it out <laughs> with a prediction. But, no, no. Um, so there's two ways it can kind of go after a loss like they experienced last week coming off an undefeated national championship season it can you know light a fire underneath the guys um or especially this year in this 10 game shortened season you know it it can be a deflating loss as well we we blew it um so obviously you're uh you're hoping that that comes out as the light of fire under the guys but um 
do you see what what likelihood do you see what is Ed Orgeron telling those guys in the locker room to to prevent that deflation um, of confidence? Go Tigers! <laughs> That's what he's saying. I, I think you know it's a it's a good question. I don't know if I have a perfect answer for it, but I'd say I mean his message is probably just the fact that hey, everyone on this team should be one of the best players in the country. You know, everyone on this team is a four or five star kid who just watched LSU win a national championship and like knows what the standard there is. And that's actually been, you know, one of his main catchphrases this week is just like playing to the LSU standard, all those things. It's a little corny, but I mean, I know for example, they track, you know, they track loafs every game, you know, how often a guy isn't really going all out and they really tracked it seriously this past week. And like the team had to run like crazy from what I understand on Monday, you mm. know, I think a lot of it's just, this, it's just, you know, being like, Hey, you just got embarrassed. You're supposed to be LSU. You came here to be a national title contender and all these things. And you just lost Mississippi state in the yeah. opener. So it's more of, it's not even about the opponent. It's more just like play to what you're supposed to be and, you know, leave a legacy and don't embarrass yourself kind of thing. And I think that's kind of the motivation. There it is from Brody Miller covers LSU from the athletic. We got a seven o'clock seven thirty Eastern time kickoff in Nashville. He'll be watching it from where, where do you live in Louisiana? I'm well, I used to live in Baton Rouge, but I actually just uh, moved to New Orleans. So I'm in New Orleans. Now. Okay. All right. All right. So, so he'll be in New Orleans. Brody will be watching that one. Uh, I'll be down here in Florida. Will in, in Nashville. So again, can't wait to watch this one. Brody, thanks for taking the time and uh, good luck with the coverage Saturday. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Good luck with everything. Yes, sir. Thank you.